0: This is BayCare Health Chat. I'm Evo Terra. Heart arrhythmias are an irregular heartbeat. It feels like a fluttering or racing heart sometimes and can often be harmless. However, some heart arrhythmias may be indicative of serious underlying conditions. To help us understand this better, today I'm chatting with Dr. Rodrigo A. Bolaños, the electrophysiology lab director, director of arrhythmia services at Bostic Heart Center at Winterhaven Hospital, and the co-chair of the Arrhythmia Committee for Baycare Health System. Dr. Bolaños, thanks for joining me.
1: Glad to be joining you Evo this afternoon.
0: I always like to start these conversations with a level set. So can I ask that you would define arrhythmia for us lay people?
1: An arrhythmia is basically a term that applies to an abnormal heartbeat. And that could be a beat that it's abnormal because it's either too slow or irregular or too rapid.
0: So are irregular heartbeats always a concern?
1: Not always, And that's why it's important to see, you know, a trained specialist to help you differentiate something that you should be concerned about or something that can be expected in the general population, particularly somebody of your age or with your medical conditions, and then make the appropriate recommendations based on those factors.
0: Okay, so let's say that someone is experiencing something different that they haven't really experienced before, not just the standard heart flutters or racing heart because they ran a marathon, but something else. What should they be looking for? What should we be looking for in something that might need a doctor's attention?
1: So basically, a good general rule is, and this applies not only to, you know, arrhythmias, but other medical conditions. If it's something that uh, continues to recur or is becoming more frequent, then that's something that you should, you know, get assessed. If it's something that goes away on its own, uh, then typically that's not something you've got to worry about. Mm-hmm. But if it's a recurrent issue, then the next step would be to typically see <clears throat> your general doctor first, and uh, often he or she may order you a heart monitor <clears throat> to try to capture and see if there's a rhythm abnormality that's contributing to your symptoms. And oftentimes it will refer you to a cardiologist, or directly to an electrophysiologist to have that evaluated
0: but first stop with regular GP is this typically the right answer that's very mm-hmm. good to know can we talk about some of the common disorders that you see what's out there I guess also what's the most concerning if not fatal
1: sure well with the aging population a lot of rhythm disorders are becoming more frequent <clears throat> and so I mean, there's a spectrum it could vary from rhythm disorders that require, for example, a pacemaker because the pulse is too slow Mm -hmm. to potentially life-threatening rhythm disorders such as ventricular tachycardia or ventricular fibrillation, which is essentially when you hear of somebody just dropping suddenly period. And so those people, you know, if they're able to be resuscitated and so forth, often end up with, a, you know, a defibrillator. Right. You may have heard of athletes where that's occurred. There was a famous case recently with a, you know, football player that had yeah. cardiac arrest on the field. That was a more rare case, but that kind of a, arrhythmia can be, you know, life-threatening. Otherwise, outside of those life-threatening arrhythmias, there's other more common arrhythmias, which can still have, you know, significant adverse effects. And probably one of the most common ones is atrial fibrillation, mm. which is a very irregular rhythm from the top of the heart that can really manifest in a variety of ways. And it's probably one of the more challenging ones to manage for various reasons.
0: Yeah, my mom has AFib, and she's been through something, I think they called it ablation therapy. Can you talk about that for a moment?
1: Yes. Yeah, so AFib, there's two things that we focus on with atrial fibrillation, depending on risk factors, and we calculate something called a chads VAS score. And that takes into consideration things like your age and the presence of other existing conditions such as diabetes, high blood pressure, and a few others. And that helps guide our decision to recommend a blood thinner because atrial fibrillation, when associated with some of these other risk factors, increases your risk of stroke. So we focus, number one, on assessing that risk and appropriately protecting the patient typically with a blood thinner thinner. Mm -hmm. And I should note that aspirin does not really count as a blood thinner. The second thing we focus on atrial fibrillation is the management of symptoms and preventing from it recurring, particularly if we think it's causing issues such as it's weakening the heart or making the patient feel poorly. And that involves um, a variety of methods ranging from medications to a procedure called an ablation where we directly target in a minimally invasive fashion the abnormal parts of the heart that are causing it to go out of rhythm and that's typically done by placing catheters, usually advanced through one of the vessels at the waist, and making an electrical map of the heart and looking for those areas where we know atrial fibrillation originates. It's the most effective treatment that we have. It's actually most effective when it's done early in the disease process, meaning the atrial fibrillation hasn't been around for years, Mm. but it's not 100% as is neither is medication. Sometimes it has to be done a second time down the road. But the idea is to control the AFib, and our ability to, quote, cure the AFib is best when it's done earlier in the disease process. Otherwise, really, our goal is to control it.
0: Thanks for that information. We're talking about AFib. We're talking about tachycardia and other sorts of interesting terms for people. Mm -hmm. Do all of these have a single underlying cause, or are they from multiple causes?
1: Oh absolutely not. The causes can be you know quite varied, but from genetic causes uh you know environmental causes, meaning the the existence of other comorbidities, meaning other disease states such as diabetes, high blood pressure, coronary disease, things like that, there's multiple causes, and the different patients. And have different presentations for the same arrhythmia, so that's why it's particularly important to see a specialist and often really a subspecialist, such as an electrophysiologist like myself and others in the system.
0: Thinking about treatment for just a moment, we've talked about doing the ablation with AFib, we talked about pacemakers. Mm-hmm. What sorts of treatments are out there? Not everybody gets the same thing, obviously. So, what can be done? And it, can any of those things be done without the use of medication or surgery?
1: So, there are instances where we will skip the medication option, particularly if the patient's younger, or we need to try to keep the atrial fibrillation from recurring because it's already causing significant adverse events in mm-hmm. that patient's heart. And so, oftentimes, we'll skip the medication, or if the medication is not well-tolerated. So, that's why every patient is different, and the way that one approaches each patient not only can be variable from patient to patient, but it could vary depending on where in the disease process that particular patient is at that particular point in time. So, for example, I have followed patients, you know, for example, for the last eight years, and what we did eight years ago, you know, I probably would not recommend the same thing now, or we would take a slightly different course because they're at a different point in their life.
0: Hmm. Mm, Yeah, that makes sense. Also, medical advances as well. We don't want to keep learning all these things that we're doing, right?
1: Yeah, correct. Our ability to get better results with ablation is improving. You know, the medications, unfortunately, we haven't had any really new medications to treat the rhythm abnormalities. So our progress has been made more on the procedure side to try to minimize the recurrences. And also pacemakers, you know, have their role. They themselves. Don't keep the rapid rhythms from occurring, but they can allow us to manage the patient by giving medications that otherwise would not be tolerated without a pacemaker in place.
0: This has all been very good information. Is there anything <clears throat> that I should have asked you that I did not ask you? And again, I think we have lots of good info, but there's one more thing you want to talk about. I'm happy to ask you any other question.
1: Yeah, I think it's important to like differentiate what a cardiologist can do versus an electrophysiologist. Oh, that's a good
0: idea. So you're an electrophysiologist. Did I get the name properly there? Um, That's correct. (laughs) I have a cardiologist. Can you tell me the difference between your two disciplines?
1: So uh, as an electrophysiologist, you have to go through cardiology training first, and then you have to do an additional training fellowship of minimum of two years duration. And there's a completely separate board certification for electrophysiology. So to become an electrophysiology, physician, you have to become proficient um, at the minimum of doing certain procedures such as pacemakers, defibrillators, resynchronization devices, and of course, a variety of ablations to deal with a gamut of rapid heart rhythms. A cardiologist only has the ability to prescribe certain medications to help with the rhythm problems, but they can't do any procedures to actually address the problems directly. In fact, electrophysiology really it's such a distinct field that once you become an electrophysiologist it's not even required that you keep your board certification in cardiology up to date because oh. it's such a distinct field interesting <laughs> okay all right got it but they look at the a patient as a whole and they manage you know the arrhythmias with medications to their best of their ability often in conjunction with an electrophysiologist but they also focus on other things like valvular abnormalities and making sure they're on the right medications, referring them for timely surgery and other interventions such as placing a stent and the like.
0: Dr. Bolaños, thank you so much for all the information today.
1: No problem. It was my pleasure. If anything else comes up, let me know.
0: Once again, that was Dr. Rodrigo A. Balaños, the Electrophysiology Lab Director, Director of Arrhythmia Services at Bostic Heart Center at Winter Haven Hospital, and the Co-Chair of the Arrhythmia Committee for Care Health System. And that wraps up this episode of BayCare Health Chat. Head on over to our website at baycareheartrhythm.org for more information and to get connected to one of our providers. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast and all the other BayCare podcasts. For more health tips and updates, follow us on your social channels. If you found this podcast informative, please share it on your social media, and be sure to check out all the other interesting podcasts in our library. I'm Ivo Tara. Thanks for joining us, and stay well.